This is Julia. It is 11 a.m. on Thursday, March 19th. Um, anyways, to the post. So much has happened in 48 hours that I have had to read my last post to remember what life was like then. It seems like just when we have heard something we never thought we'd hear, a band of gatherings of 50 or more, we hear something else we never thought we'd hear, a band of gatherings of 10 or more and a mandate closing all bars and restaurants in Maine, except for takeout and delivery. I apologize for not being able to respond to the hundreds of questions many of you have asked. I am very busy working at Maine Health, but I'm trying to take time every couple of days to post some thoughts on the pandemic, as well as to answer some of the questions you're asking. Below are a few questions and answers. Why aren't the towns of residents provided for COVID-19 cases? As the pandemic spreads into Maine, there is some familiarity. Nor'easters most often start along our southern coast and work their way north. Schools and businesses close, and we all shift into our snow day routine. And although the weather report says it's snowing in Portland, we know if we live nearby in Westbrook, it's snowing there as well. Likewise, with the reports of COVID-19 up to 42 in the state, as of yesterday, with over half of them in Cumberland County, everyone needs to assume COVID-19 is where you live too. That is one reason why public health reporting does not usually include the town of residence. Federal laws require such reporting man maintain the privacy of the individual patient, unless there are certain compelling reasons not to. With COVID-19, just like knowing where it's snowing, we are no more protected if we know the town or street of the patient versus the, versus the county. And we still need to hunker down into a nor'easter routine. Why aren't, child cares why aren't child cares closed? Although school closures are a complicated matter with COVID-19, as I wrote about last Saturday, daycare closures are even more complicated. The main goal of social distancing and closing businesses is to slow this pandemic. Ideally, if we can all hunker down at home without anyone leaving, we could stop the spread. But people providing services we cannot live without must leave their homes. This includes first responders, healthcare workers, and people working in grocery stores, pharmacies, and gas stations. If we do not provide childcare for those who work in these essential services, how are those services supposed to continue? Hospitals across Maine and the country reported a reduction in workforce when schools closed, which occurred on Monday here in Maine. The other issue to consider is if children in childcare are transmitters of infection across the community. School children are well documented to be major transmitters of influenza across a community. We do not know yet if they are with COVID-19. For most, for most schools, there are usually hundreds of children in one building, all sitting in classrooms of 20 or so students each, switching classrooms every hour or two to co-mingle with 20 other children, congregating in the cafeteria and playground, sitting together on the bus, and generally moving in and about the school all day long. At the end of the day, they've potentially exchanged germs with dozens of other students, and then they disperse across the community, heading, to home, heading home to families, transmitting viruses to them, who in turn disperse in different directions across the community to workplaces, to grocery stores, and other businesses. By contrast, childcare facilities are generally much smaller, caring for a handful to a few dozen children rather than hundreds. And children in childcare more often spend the day with a small group of similar aged children and do not circulate and commingle as widely as school children do. There is little evidence that children in childcare are major transmitters of influenza across a community, in contrast to the situation with school children. 
with COVID-19 even less is known. So the issue about childcare closing is much more complicated than school closures, especially with known risks to closure, for example, losing more healthcare workers and first responders, and very uncertain benefits to closing. At Maine Health, we have provided this link and other resources to our care team members to find licensed childcare providers, and are also giving a new, due to this pandemic, stipend to assist in paying for childcare. See um, childcarechoices.maine. Slash. Anyways, just look at the link in the post if you want to find, find it. Anyways, who needs to be tested? First, there are two major reason, reasons for testing for a novel virus. The first one is to determine if the infection is in Maine so that the healthcare systems and first responders can implement their pandemic plans. The second one is to determine if action is needed for an individual patient. For this first few days of testing being available, both reasons for testing have been active. However, as test collection materials, nasal, nasal swabs, and the liquid the swabs are transported in, and testing kits, or the materials that comprise the kits, become scarce, and with over 1,700 tests having been, having been conducted in Maine in the last 10 days, it's clear there is a need to narrow the testing. We know COVID-19 is here in Maine, so the first reason for testing is not as compelling. When Community spread was documented through this, through this testing. Actions were taken across the state, and pandemic plans were implemented. For instance, elective surgeries and healthcare visits have been postponed to free up our hospitals and health workforce. Hospital incident command systems have been activated. It is unlikely additional statewide actions would have taken, would have taken based on just testing and identifying more people who are recovering from COVID-19 in their homes. That leads to second reason for testing, taking action with individual patients. For the vast majority of patients with the symptoms of COVID-19, whether they have COVID-19 or another respiratory virus, the actions are no different. Links to what to do if you're sick are below. However, for some patients with symptoms, there may be different strategies called for. Called for. Those include patients who are hospitalized, who live in a long-term care or other senior living facility, who are inmates in a jail or prison, or who live in a homeless shelter or other group setting, since these places are at high risk for outbreaks that need quick public health interventions to prevent or mitigate. People who are at high risk for severe disease, such as those who are older, 60 plus and especially 70 plus, or who have serious chronic medical conditions, should be considered for testing, since they may need to be considered for hospitalization. These are some reasons why you'll see the criteria, why you'll see why you'll see the reasons for testing narrow, likely to those who meet these criteria. If you're under 60 and in good health and not pregnant and don't live in a group setting, if you have symptoms, you likely do not need to be tested. Just stay home and follow care instructions as if you had had the flu or similar illness. Are there any data on the impact of COVID-19 in the U.S.? Since January, we have been reliant on data from China to make decisions about COVID-19 here in the U.S., I lost my place. Um, yesterday, data from the first 4,226 cases of the disease in the U.S. were published by the U.S. CDC. The word case refers to someone who is diagnosed with the disease. It is not meant to dehumanize someone, as I and others fully recognize there are real people behind this term. They report that 31% of the cases, 53% of the ICU admissions, and 80% of the deaths so far in the U.S. occurred among adults ages 65 and older. Data from China are similar, showing 80% of the deaths, 
there are among those age 60 and older. The new report states that severe illness leading to hospitalization, including ICU admission, can occur in adults of any age with COVID-19, though so far in the U.S., those 18 and younger appear to have milder illnesses, as they did in China. A link to this study is below. What about the impact of COVID-19 on children? A new study from China of 2,143 children diagnosed with COVID-19 shows that infants and toddlers are more vulnerable to severe illness, with 11% of infants, birth to age 1, and 7% of toddlers, ages 1 to 5, experiencing severe or critical illness. Both categories were hospitalized, with the latter needing ventilator support. None in these None in these young age groups die. There is a theory that school children's common and repeated exposure to the types of coronaviruses that cause the common cold may lend some, pro some protection to COVID-19. This study from China may add a bit of support to that theory, given that infants and toddlers who are less likely to be as exposed to cold viruses seem to be at higher risk for more severe COVID-19. A link to this study is also below. So I hope that these, I hope this answers these answers help a little. I realize we're at the beginning of this COVID-19 storm, and we all have more questions than answers. But I also know that as this pandemic evolves, we, we're figuring this out, and we'll do better figuring this out together. Anyway, that's the end of the post. There are links at the bottom of it to things that um, I slash my mom mentioned in the post itself. Um, and please head there if you would like to check them out. As always, stay safe and be well.